Thank you, Barbara. Would you pray with me tonight? Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before you near to the heart of God. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. We're thinking together about discipleship and particularly about the disciplines that would enable us to grow as disciples. Henry Blackaby says discipleship is personally transferring the full dimensions of your relationships with Christ to the person you're walking with. So it's not just imparting the spiritual disciplines as much as it is acquainting another person with a person you love. So because we love Jesus and we have come to know Him, we're in a position to better introduce Him. We're in a better position to know Him. But the question is, how will we come to know Him well enough so that we may teach those truths to another who will hand them off to another? One way we get to know someone is by spending undistracted time with them. Perhaps you've heard about the Human Brain Project uh, a few years ago in the Scientific American, a team of scientists led by a man named Dr. Henry Markram decided they were going to reverse engineer the brain. They would start with small mammals, why not start small, and then move up, they hoped, to the human brain. Markram is confident in his work. He says, we anticipate that the brain model we develop will have most, if not all, human cognitive capabilities. You're not surprised that he has critics. First, these scientists argue that we can't possibly replicate the connectivity of the 100 to 500 trillion synapses of an adult brain. Second, the human brain is not a static body part, so it's always growing and changing. Instead, our, our brains are, are on the move, so to speak. So according to one reporter, understanding the brain is one thing, but making one that can run a virtual human being is a different story altogether. Markham himself concedes that the human brain is millions of times more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer that exists today. The human brain is also vastly more efficient. So to create the brain that they're talking about reverse engineering would take the same amount of energy as a small city in the wintertime. On the other hand, the human brain is very efficient. It works on about 20 watts, about the same amount as a small light bulb. The human brain is wonderfully and beautifully complex. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them where I'd count them. They would outnumber the grains of sands. 
So my question is, what is the best and highest use of the amazing brain that God has given to you and to me? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God. He repeated the Shema, didn't he? With all your heart, with all your soul, and the Hebrew said, with all your strength. Jesus said, with all your mind and with all your strength. So how will we love God with our whole minds? In both the Old and New Testament, we see the same pattern. Would you open your Bibles with me tonight to Psalm 1 and Philippians chapter 4. Psalm 1 and Philippians chapter 4. Let's think together tonight about the spiritual discipline of meditation. We looked at prayer last week. We'll think about fasting together next week. But let's think together about meditation. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Psalm 1, one of my favorites, every January 1st, the first thing I want to read every new year is Psalm 1. And this is what it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And then Philippians chapter 4. Another of our favorite passages, you're familiar with these. I'll start reading with verse 4, and I want to read through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In the psalmist's words, in the life of our Savior who sought solitude, in the words and practice of the Apostle Paul, we see a similar pattern. Disciples, it turns out, are learners. That's what the word means. Disciples are followers, not just admirers. Kierkegaard said Jesus did not come to attract admirers. Admirers will never become what they admire. But followers want to become 
what they admire. They want to become like the one they admire. We learn by intensive focus, not by skimming the surface or just learning the history behind the Scriptures, but rather by immersing ourselves in time with God, steeping in His Word like a tea bag steeps in hot water. In fact, I might illustrate it this way. I've been preaching a lot this week. I think something like 13 times in the last eight days. It's been delightful to be with God's people. It takes a toll on your voice. And one way that I deal with that is by drinking, by drinking tea. Now, if I take this, this Earl Grey tea bag and I open it up, to hear the word would be just to put it in for a moment and dip it, to read the Word, to listen to the Word, to study the Word. These are all valuable things that will affect me in some way. But the best way, the best way to imagine meditation is like this warm water, is like our minds, and God's Word, His presence, His life are like the tea bag. And the best thing I can do, really, if I want not just a taste of tea, but I want the, the full effect of the tea, is just to let the tea bag stay in the water and just soak there. And while we talk for a few moments tonight, the color of the water is going to change. And in the same way, when you and I meditate on God and His Word, and we immerse ourselves completely in His love. It's like letting your Bible, letting the Bible brew in your brain. Thus, we might say that as the tea colors the water, meditation, focus on Christ, intense listening to His Spirit as we look at the same passage of Scripture again and again, will ultimately color our thinking so that others who see us and know us will be able to detect a difference. When we meditate on Scripture, it colors our thinking about God, about God's ways and His world, and about ourselves. We love God with our whole minds by putting our whole minds on Him, centering on Him in our distracted world. Richard Foster is right. Christian meditation, very simply is spending enough time in the presence of God that we are able to hear His voice and then to obey what He says. Two thoughts from Psalms and Philippians, parallel thoughts tonight. The first is that we misuse our brains when we worry and we muse about sin. It was Dallas Willard who said, anybody who has ever worried has already practiced meditation just on the wrong thing. So think about when you worry and the same thought comes up again and again and again. And what you're doing is you're just letting that color your thinking. It might be uh, something that you're concerned that uh, will really cause you a problem and that worry just keeps coming back again and again. And in fact, in the same way, anything we think about other than God and His ways will ultimately influence our thinking. I think that's what the psalmist is saying when he says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, it would be impossible for us to immerse our lives in a culture that is steeped in sin 
all the time and never to be influenced by that or shaped by that. What we see, what we hear, what we read, what we listen to, what we think about, those things will inevitably, ultimately emerge in the way that we act and live. The mind not set on God is not at peace with itself or God. And the psalmist says, so if you choose that life, and you know people who've just chosen a life and say, well, I can, I can sort of dabble in this sin, but I, I still love God. I can, do, I can live with a foot in both worlds. And you get the sense from the psalmist that that kind of life ultimately is an unstable life. And when the wind blows, when the pressures of life come, when you're bumped, you will spill what you're full of. You will be blown away by this or that thing in life. And he says, when the day comes to stand before God, we will not be able to stand. Similarly, in the letter to the Philippians, Paul writes a great deal about the mind and about things. You remember in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 13, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in, in appearance, being made in appearance as a man, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee Uh, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. He, He was saying, I want you to think about things the way that Jesus thought about things. Again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, I noticed this, uh, recently. He says, before he comes to the passage that I read, talking about a a particular group of people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Um, Again, Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, he says. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What we think about affects the way that we live. And then finally, Philippians chapter 4, the passage that I read to you. Um, By the way, you know that Kindle has the ability uh, to highlight or to see what people have highlighted in books that they have read on Kindle. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but they've got some sort of way to detect that. And it's interesting, of all the most highlighted scriptures in the Bible version on Kindle, the most highlighted one, not John 3.16, this passage, Philippians 4, verse 6, again, uh, starting right there, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious, do not worry, do not meditate on these things, whatever... uh, has worried, already, whoever has worried already knows how to meditate, but it is the, the number one most highlighted passage. To meditate on God and His Word, on the other hand, we have to remove distractions from our lives. So let me just ask you, what is happening in your life that is keeping you from spending time centering on and focusing your mind's attention and your heart's affection on Jesus Christ? We live... I think it's safe to say in the most distracted time 
in world history. We have CPA, continuous partial distraction, uh, while we sit at the computer, while we have our phones. Uh, somebody said, this is idolatry, that the people who use their phones the, mo- the most will touch the screen 5,000 times a day. If you're touching your screen, let's just, let's just say you're average 2,000 times a day. I hope you're doing it in specific bunches instead of just throughout the day. Because I wonder if you're doing anything 2,000 times a day, how you will focus on anything else if you're doing that. If you always answer every email right when it comes up, how are you able to concentrate and to study and to do the things you need to do? Andy Crouch, I mentioned to you last week, has written a a good book uh, for families about how to deal with uh, electronics in our age. And he's not a person who condemns electronics and says they're, they're evil. What he says is, if we're not careful they will create in us all, almost uh, an attention deficit disorder where we, we lose our attention span. And so he recently spent several weeks away from all screens. Um, he still used his phone to text family and friends. But the laptop, the tablet, email, TV, all the digital companions on his journey, um, he, he laid those aside and he said, Compared to my normal life in which a rectangle is glowing in front of me seven to nine hours a day, it was a dramatic and initially disorienting change. Now this is what he learned from that period of time. Andy Kraut said, this is what he gained. You would think that he would say, oh, you wouldn't believe what I missed. How many basketball scores? How many different things that I normally would have, you know, all the political arguments that are so important every day. But instead, he said, it's what he gained that he noticed. He worked on his piano skills for the first time in 20 years. He exercised more. He read some great books that he had been intending to read for some time. He finished some projects around the house, but the biggest blessing of this season was that he gained a small measure of attention, just a little bit more attention, an ability to calm the noise enough to read and cry over a story, or to listen with a friend to one short passage of Scripture read over and over four times with long silences in between. And the prerequisite for that kind of attention, though I would not want to exaggerate how much I managed to attain it, was a sense of my own smallness. In humility, in rest, we will find the presence of God. They say a goldfish has a nine-second attention span. I have bad news for us. The human attention span some 20 years was about, 20 years ago was about 12 seconds. But recent studies say it has decreased to eight seconds. A goldfish has a longer attention span than most of us most of the time. That's bad news. And the goal, if I may say, in all of this is not detachment in and of itself, to detach ourselves from other things. That's not the point of meditation. In fact, It's the opposite. The point of meditation is not that I get detached from everything, but that I attach myself to the one who matters the most. That I give him my undivided attention. That I focus on him. That I, as he describes it, back to Psalm 1, that my delight 
is in the Lord and His law. And I meditate on it, not just for a morning devotional, but day and night. We meditate on something. Something has our attention. What is it? For the psalmist, it was the law of the Lord. And many of us have made a pattern of reading through the Scriptures. I challenge you to do this every year. I'm reading through the Christian Standard Version this year. I'm enjoying that. Um, But often, we use the Scripture as a basis for a lesson or a sermon. That's important in my line of work. I assume it's important to many of you as well. But this is, I must say, very different from meditation. Here's how it's different. So when I ask you to read through the Scriptures, what I'm doing, just to use an analogy from uh, my childhood, I'm asking you to walk through the Schwarzwald, to walk through the Black Forest. Just every year, take a walk through the Black Forest. Walk all the way through the Scriptures. Read Genesis, also read Revelation, as we're doing on Sunday mornings. Get the big picture of the storyline of the Scripture. See what God is doing, not just in the individual pericopes or stories, but what is God doing in the broad sweep? What is God's big story? And that's a good thing to do. Walk through the forest. Who wouldn't want to walk through the forest? I grew up with my friend Rene Mitsusawa and his little brothers Georgie and Gino running through the pine forests of Germany. It was a wonderful life. But meditation, instead of just saying, I'm going to walk through the the black forest, meditation says, I'm going to focus on a tree. I'm going to learn everything I can about that tree. You know, Jerome, what comes to mind is Louis Giglio going to see uh, the mountain. Is it Mount McKinley or one of the ones up in Alaska? And he fought Denali, one of those. He focused on that mountain. He learned everything he could about that mountain. What if you and I not only read through the scriptures, but we did what my friends uh, Tommy Brown and Brandon Lackey and I did in my early years here at Tallawood. One time we said, we're going to read the book of Ephesians every day for 30 days. Can I tell you how much better I understood the book of Ephesians after 30 days? It was a whole different world. Because in 30 days, what I did was I began to feel the flow of that passage. I began to understand exactly what Paul was saying. I started noticing certain words that were repeating themselves again and again. And in a way, meditation is coming to to fall in love with Jesus again and, and to focus on Him in a very specific way. Instead of just saying, I want to comprehend all of this knowledge Instead, it's, I want to know you. Bonhoeffer put it this way, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love. I hope you don't analyze the words of the people you love. What do you mean by that? No. But accept them as they are said to you. Accept the word of Scripture. And thank you, Cheryl, for the analogy earlier. Ponder it in your heart as Mary did. It's not that we have a lot of things to do like Martha. It's that the most important thing is to hear the voice of Jesus. Like Elijah, after you run to the mountain of God to wait for the sound of sheer silence and to hear God speak over the sound of the noise. So what do we focus on? Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. Can you think of anything that fits all of that? So there are, there are, there are things that remind us of that. Um, great literature, reading great poetry. Lately, I've been listening to great music. I'm reading this book called The Beautiful Story, and he challenged me to listen to better music. And recently at Steve Dessen's funeral, as we were gathering together, and, and there was a, a, a string, uh, a set of string players. I don't know if it was a quartet. I can't remember, Larry, how many there were. It was 
there were seven of them. So it was like seven of them in an empty chair. And they were playing these beautiful arrangements in strings. And they played Bach's Yesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. And I told the congregation at that funeral that in Japan, we have sent missionaries for years trying to start churches and, and, and preach and, and tell the gospel. And they have not, on the big scale, unlike, for instance, Brazil um, and um, some of the countries in Africa, in Japan, it's been tough sledding for the missionaries. However, there is a revival going on among the conductors of music in Japan so that somebody has estimated tens of thousands of musicians in Japan have become believers. And it started with one who said, when I was listening to Bach's music, I started realizing there must be a God. He even traveled to Leipzig where, where, um, uh, where Bach wrote music for the church in Leipzig. I think some of us stopped there on our Reformation tour uh, back in 2002. But he went there and he asked the minister there, he said, would you baptize me? Because through Bach's music, I have come to believe not only that there's a God, but that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So meditate on beautiful things. So beautiful music, a beautiful literature. I would say beautiful art. Um, to look, to walk through and see magnificent art. I remember one time Melanie and I uh, were on a trip and in one week we went to the Prado and the Louvre. I mean, that's like, uh, that's like the World Series of art. I don't know how to describe it. Um, maybe the sports analogies are not good for this crowd. But anyway, because uh, there's some people who really like sports. Apparently you don't. But... Um, but great art. But here's the thing. If I look at those six characteristics, the first six words that Paul gives us in Philippians 4, 8, they're ultimately embodied in one person, in Jesus Christ. I mean, just like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who, who is that? Jesus. Jesus represents all of that. So in a way, what, what Paul is saying when he asks them to put these things into practice, to focus on what Paul is really saying is intensely focus on Jesus. Get to know Jesus. I learned some years ago, it was actually Kent McMahon. Some of you love Kent. I love Kent. And um, he reminded me when I moved here about the Jesus prayer uh, that is used in the Eastern Orthodox Church it's just a simple prayer that they use to center themselves throughout the day. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And when people talk about centering, the Quakers uh, were, were particularly focused on this. The point of meditation is not just uh, to quiet the mind. It's certainly not just to empty the mind. The point of Christian meditation is to fill the heart to fill the heart with love for God, to fill the heart with love for Him, to focus on who Jesus is, to see who He is, to come to know Him, to come to know Him. That's why Paul could say, again to the Philippians, I want to know Him. Wait a minute, Paul, you've been walking with Him for 20 years by now, and you say you want to know Him. Yeah, I want to know Him. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, so that somehow... I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to know Christ and to know Him. We will have to spend time with Him. We will have to focus on Him. Our own Mark Antley has written a chapter in a book, a book that he's recently written on centering prayer. And he says, we don't just quiet the mind, but we strive 
to fill the heart with the love and presence of God. So how would you do this? Well, you might take a particular verse of Scripture, or you might take the Jesus prayer, or you might even, as sometimes for me when I'm praying, and I'm praying the Jesus prayer and just saying this throughout the day, if I have a, a focused time and I'm, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, it might reduce just to Jesus or have mercy. Sometimes just mercy. And in thinking about that, comprehending the way that God loves us, believing that God loves us no matter what, we come to a place where we understand Him better. Another example, in an interview, actor Anthony Hopkins said that when he gets a movie script, he reads it through between 100 and 200 times before the movie is produced. He makes notes in the margins. He scribbles and doodles and imagines how it would look on stage or screen. And by the time he's finished, he has internalized that script. He knows his character. He knows his lines. He knows everyone else's lines. He's able to improvise. He is a personification of the script. Look, if a Hollywood actor reads a script a hundred times, how much more should we who have been redeemed by the grace of God, who have placed our trust in Him, spend that kind of time rehearsing again and again the Scriptures? If you ask me why we should meditate, again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was asked why he meditated, and he answered simply, because I am a Christian, I need to focus on Christ. I need to focus on Him if I'm going to become like Him. And the question is, well, what will it benefit us? And Psalm 1 says, this person who meditates on God's law day and night, you know some people like this. There is a permanence about them, a stability. Yes, an oak of righteousness who displays God's splendor. A tree planted by streams of water. The mind not focused on Christ leads to instability, to flightiness, to being blown away by life. But a tree is different from chaff in that it is well-supplied life. It's filled with staying power. I think about this when I, I jog along uh, beside Buffalo Bayou in, in Hershey Park and the, the big cottonwood trees that, that even withstood Hurricane Harvey. They're still standing strong after the, the amazing storm. And, you know, half of them were underwater. I mean, the water was 40 feet high behind my house back there in that pool and in the channel of that river. And yet with all the flow, and it was flowing like a river, and the, and the Cajun Navy was running up and down in speedboats uh, right behind my backyard. And, and, and yet, those trees, when I, I jog by them, have stood and are strong because they're planted. They've put down deep roots beside that channel of water, and they are drawing nourishment from it. The second characteristic, not only permanence, but also fruitfulness in season. This is so close to Jesus' teaching in John 15, 5, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, how will you know? You will bear much fruit that lasts. Now that's pulling a couple of verses together there. You'll bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Is this the explanation for how sometimes we look at our lives at the end of a year, like December 31st, and say, Lord, what progress have I made spiritually this year? H how have I grown closer to you? How have I gone deeper in my walk with you? And we discover that we have not spent the time in connection with Him that would empower Him 
to bear His fruit within us. Again in Philippians, here's the promise for people who meditate. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So this is over-understanding. It guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Frederick Faber put it this way in poetry. Only to sit and think of God. Oh, what a joy it is to think the thought, to breathe the name. Earth has no higher bliss. Robert Morgan tells about Harry Truman, who when he became president, worried about losing touch with common, everyday Americans. So you couldn't do this today. You'd have to have secret service all around you. But he would go out among the people. And those were simpler days, obviously, when the president could take a walk like everyone else could. But one evening, Truman decided to take a walk down to the Memorial Bridge on the Potomac River. And when he got there, he became curious about the mechanism that raised and lowered the bridge. He had a curious mind. And so he made his way across the catwalks, and he came upon the bridge tender, the man who tends the bridge. And he caught the guy finishing supper. The guy was finishing up a sandwich. And the guy, when he saw the president, swallowed, and he said, Mr. President, I've been thinking about you lately. And David McCullough, who writes uh, the, auto, uh, the biography of, of uh, Truman, says that he really, really appreciated that. And um, it just it gave him joy to think that the guy out there who was tending the bridge on the Potomac River occasionally thought about him. Now imagine this. Imagine how the Lord feels when His people can honestly say at the end of a day, Lord, I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you today. This is meditation. And if we stay at it and we continue to put it into practice and we let the Bible brew in our brains, eventually, like this, uh, this glass of tea, it will color our thinking in ways that enable us to love God not only with our hearts and our souls and our strength, but also with our whole minds. And watch this. When we start loving Him that way, We'll start loving our neighbors the same way he loved people. May God bring it to pass. Disciples, practice the discipline of meditating on Scripture. And we profit greatly when we do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for teaching us from your word. I thank you, Lord, that you want to transform us into the image of Christ and Lord, I thank you that you're relentless in this pursuit, that you will not give up on making us like your son. In fact, your word says we are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of your son. God, I pray that you would speed up that progress in my life and in our lives as followers of Jesus. I pray that our concentrated attention on Christ this week would produce beautiful fruit in our lives that enable us to love you more and to love the city in which you've planted us better. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.